0: Well, Christmas Eve of 1914 uh, was about 105 years ago. Today uh, was one of the more remarkable Christmases uh, in world history. This was uh, well into the outset of the First World War. After a lot of initial movement uh, in that war, the lines had pretty well been set in by Christmas time. You had uh, in one set of trenches on one side the German army, on a set of trenches on the other side you had a mix of French and English and other European armies there together. And on Christmas Eve we hear these remarkable stories from all up and down the Western Front. Stories of songs coming out uh, from the trenches, the German side singing Silent Night being met with the British chorus of the first Noel. Noel. You hear stories of the trenches lighting their Christmas wreaths and singing carols and shouting back and forth across at each other. We have some remarkable diaries of this night. Uh, One from a British soldier, Private Frederick Heath, heard uh, crying out from the German side, English soldier, English soldier, Merry Christmas, a Merry Christmas. And then as he writes, come out, English soldier, come out here to us. And he describes it. He says, For some little time we were cautious and didn't even answer. Officers fearing treachery ordered the men to be silent. But up and down our line, one heard the men answering that Christmas greeting from the enemy. How could we resist wishing each other a Merry Christmas, even though we might be at each other's throats immediately afterwards? So we kept up a running conversation with the Germans, all the while our hands ready on our rifles. Blood and peace enmity and fraternity, war's most amazing paradox. The night wore on to dawn, a night made easier by songs from the German trenches, the pipings of piccolos, and from our broad lines, laughter and Christmas carols, and not a shot was fired. There's reports elsewhere of men going out and playing soccer in the middle of no man's land. One Scots guardsman, writes that he met a German patrol when he was out scouting, and he was given a glass of whiskey and some cigars, and a message was sent back saying that if we didn't fire at them, they would not fire at us. And the stories go like that from all up and down the Western Front. Uh, It wasn't organized by any leaders. It wasn't sanctioned by the generals. It just broke out spontaneously what became known as the Christmas Truce of 1914. And I love that story because it does seem to encapsulate so much of what the angels announced on that first Christmas. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the power that we celebrate at Christmas. Of course, uh, the very next day, you know, December 26th, uh, these men went back to war with each other. They went back to fighting with each other. Many of them went on and, and died. You know, Statistically, we know that most of those men likely gave their life in that war. By uh, 1915, there was uh, far, far more sporadic instances of the truce. By 1916, uh, as the war dragged on and these once young soldiers became more grizzled and hardened, uh, it never happened at all. And so what we see, I think, I think, yeah, this story does highlight some of what we love about Christmas. But it also points out some of why we're cynical about Christmas, right? That it feels like just this moment of sentimentality, this moment uh, where we pause and sing songs and tell stories and we get together. But then we go on and we know we've got to get back to our real lives. Our real world, which we have this suspicion is not all that impacted by Christmas. That Christmas is this island of sentimentality. Uh, in the midst of our everyday lives. We see it uh, in the ways that we do uh, Christmases together, right? It's the couple trying to stuff their own disappointments and frustrations in order to give the kids a nice Christmas. It's us gathering together uh, with our extended families for Christmas and knowing that we have a growing list of topics uh, that we better avoid if we want everybody to get along, right? We ought to avoid the the real stuff. Uh, And so we put on nice. Maybe it's Uh, Coming to a Christmas service, uh, singing the songs, telling the stories of a faith uh, that, quite honestly, you're not sure if you believe anymore and if you're not sure how it impacts your real life. And yet the prophets, uh, the prophet Isaiah that we read earlier, says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That metaphor from 2,000 years ago seems to hold up. We still know what it is to be a people walking in darkness, to be a people groping to try to find our way, a people bumping into each other and hurting one another, a people looking for light. And yet the Christian conviction has always been that the light at Christmas shines a real light into our real lives, that the light uh, does indeed shine in the darkness and the, the light is more powerful than the darkness. The light actually pushes the darkness back, that there is real light, that when we see it, uh, changes everything. And that's why Christians have told this story. We've told these stories for 2,000 years. It's why we tell it uh, from church pulpits. It's why we tell it uh, in our family homes. It's why, as our kids sang, we tell it from the mountaintops. We love to tell this story. One man uh, that I want to introduce you to tonight uh, that told this story was one of Jesus' first disciples, a man named John. John uh, was just a fisherman who met Jesus one day, and Jesus told him to leave everything and come and follow him. And John did follow him. John became one of Jesus' closest friends. John spent uh, most of the rest of his life trying to tell people about Jesus. He wanted all of his friends and all of his neighbors to know about Jesus. He wrote what we have as the Gospel of John, in your Bible, as well as numerous letters that he wrote to his friends to tell them who Jesus was. And in a letter in the New Testament that's uh, listed as First John, it's John's first letter that we have, he says this, I'm just going to read the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, John wants his friends to understand uh, what happened at Christmas. He wants his friends to understand, as we've been talking about in this church throughout Advent, that at Christmas, God himself came down. He came down to meet us, and he came down to forge a relationship with us. He came down to us as he's been moving towards his people throughout the entire history of the world, but in Christ, he came down in a special way. And John wants his friends to know that, and so he tells them, and he really argues three basic things. He tells them first, he tells them that God came down into the real world. He came down into the real world. Did you notice all of those different sensory words that John used here? He said, look, this is what we've heard and what we've seen with our eyes and we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John wants his people to know, and I want us to know, is that the Christmas message isn't uh, what we would often think of in our world as a spiritual message, right? Jesus isn't simply uh, an announcement of a spiritual truth that we can file away into the spiritual part of our lives. He came into the real world, the world that you can see and touch and taste and smell. He came into the world where we live and where we raise our kids and where we save our money and where we go to work and where we uh, forge our relationships. He came into the fullness of what it means to be a human being. You know, in the Western world, uh, for most of our history, we've lived with what the philosopher David Hume called uh, a fact-value distinction, which means that there are certain parts of the world that we chalk up as fact, things that can be measured and counted and verified, the world of science. And then there's values, things like beliefs and opinions, intuitions, And in our world, most of the time, those two things, we're told, have to be kept completely apart. What you believe doesn't have really that much to do with your real world. And yet Christmas eradicates that difference because God steps into the real world, the world that can be touched and tasted and seen and smelled. He became an ordinary baby, just as loud and smelly as any baby that's ever been, Uh, just as normal uh, as the babies that we hear all around us. He came into uh, the real world. And if God uh, became a man, if he came into the real world, then everything about our real lives is impacted. Everything about our ordinary lives in the midst of this world changes. If God has told us, "No, no, I'm not off there in a distance. I'm not off somewhere in heaven and you're trying to figure out what you think about me, what you believe about me. I've come right down into your world, pursuing you. And so John wants his friends to know that that God came down into the real world. Secondly, he wants his friends to know that God came down for a relationship. God came down for relationship. That which we have seen and heard, verse 3, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That word fellowship means relationship. It's the Greek word koinonia. Sometimes it means participation, relationship, friendship. But what John is saying is that Jesus came down into this world in order to forge a relationship, a fellowship between God and humanity, between ordinary men, women, and children like us and the God of the universe. He came to us for relationship. You'll note that we read uh, at the beginning of our service a passage from Genesis chapter 3, that bit that ends uh, with the curse on Adam, that, that because of your sin, you'll, you'll harvest your crops by the sweat of your brow, for dust you are, and to dust you'll return. And as you read that, at least for me, I was thinking, man, that is a, that is a jarring bit of news on Christmas Eve. With us all dressed up and looking our best, we don't feel like dust. Right? We don't feel like we're headed to dust. We feel like things are going pretty well tonight. But the truth of the, the, re, the reason we read that passage, and the reason why, why millions of churches around the world read that passage at Christmas, is to remind us that we are born into a world that's alienated from God. That we were made for relationship with God. God created us for himself. But through our own sinful wandering, we became enemies of God, strangers to God. We became enemies and strangers to ourselves. And that apart from Jesus stepping into the real world, we were doomed to live our entire lives alienated from God, alienated from one another. But when God becomes man, he does so for relationship. He does so to bring us back. He becomes like us in order to lift us so that we could have a fellowship, a relationship with God the Father. John elsewhere tells us uh, in his gospel, he says that everyone who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to be called children of God, God's sons and God's daughters. Jesus came for relationship. And more than that, just to put a, to put a fine point on it, he came for a relationship with you. right? Not, not just he came for a relationship generally with, with those other people out there that it seems to make sense for. No, he came for a relationship with you. This Christmas, don't let the offer of Jesus be something that just happens and exists outside of you. Something that may or may not have happened 2,000 years ago. Some piece of the stories and songs that we sing. But recognize that he came to have a relationship with you. In order that you, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, came so that you could call his God, his Father, your Father so that you could be a son or a daughter of his Father in heaven. So God came down for relationship. And then finally, John wants his friends to know that God came down for joy. God came down for joy. I love this verse, verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, there's a feeling that we have When you maybe hear a beautiful piece of music or you see a great movie, what do you want to do? You immediately want to share it with somebody, right? It's not enough just to hear a great piece of music, right? You want to, you text a link to your friends so they can hear the song, right? It's not enough just to go see a movie that you really enjoy. You want to go and tell your friends, hey, let's, you got to go see this, right? It's why we've all been, you know, if you haven't gone to see the new Star Wars movie, you've you've been trying to keep everybody else from spoiling it for you. Because they want to tell you about it once they've seen it. Or maybe they hated it and want to tell you about it. Right? When we see something, when we when we encounter something that gives us joy, the human response is to want to share that joy with others. And so John is saying, I want you to know this joy. I want you to know the joy that Jesus brings, the relationship that he offers, the change that he brings into your real life, so that our joy might be complete. John's saying, I can't, my joy won't be complete. Our joy won't be complete until you share in it with us, until you also come in and taste the joy that Jesus has offered. This is the reason why we sing joy to the world at Christmas. It's because we believe that what started at the manger in Bethlehem was a widening circle of joy, right? As is it, is it spread from Bethlehem through Judea and through the entire world, that this is the story of how uh, faith in Jesus, the, the church of Jesus, has grown from a tiny blip on the map to really circle the entire globe as people have invited others in to this amazing story of joy, of gladness, of good news, of great joy for all people. I want to read a poem uh, for us, and then I'll pray. It's a poem about uh, the joy that's offered uh, to you and to me, the, the joy that's offered through Jesus. It's a poem by a woman named Madeline Langle. Uh, she was a prolific author. She wrote, you might know her from writing uh, A Wrinkle in Time, which you had to read in school and then became a pretty bad Oprah movie a couple years ago. Um, but the book is great. You should read the book. And here's what Lingle writes He did not wait till the world was ready. "'Till men and nations were at peace. "'He came when the heavens were unsteady "'and prisoners cried out for release. "'He did not wait for the perfect time. "'He came when the need was deep and great. "'He dined with sinners in all their grime, "'turned the water into wine. "'He did not wait till hearts were pure. "'In joy he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt.' To a world like ours of anguish, shame, he came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh, to heal its tangles and shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane, to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love, rejoice rejoice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's our conviction that you came into a broken world, that you came into our broken lives to offer us life with your Father, to offer us joy unspeakable. Lord, we confess that sometimes that good news seems worlds away. That in the everyday stuff of our lives, in our difficult jobs, in our sometimes tried relationships, in the difficulty that we see in our political life and in the news, Lord, the claims of Christmas can seem so, so far away and so unreal. And yet, Lord Jesus, we are more aware than ever of the fact that we are a people in need of good news that we are a people in darkness in need of bright light. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to receive the light that you bring. Open our eyes to see the light. Uh, Open our hearts to believe and to receive it. Lord Jesus, we pray uh, that as you, God the Son, stepped into our world to bring us life, to bring us joy, to bring us relationship. Lord Jesus, we pray that more and more that life would fill our lives, and that that life would fill our world in a widening circle of your joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christchurch In Town. Please visit our website at christchurchintown.org.